This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, it's Mati here, and I'm just jumping in at the start of this episode to say that we had a few recording issues during this episode where some of Colby's audio got cut off. I did do my best to salvage most of it, but there were a couple parts of the conversation I had to cut, so you may notice uh, you know, a few odd cuts here or there, and unfortunately I did have to scrap most of what Colby had to say about Coco. I'll be back to close out the episode because that also got a little bit butchered, but until then, thanks for listening and I really hope you guys enjoy. Hello, and welcome to episode 38 of the Movie Marathoners podcast. I'm your host, Mati, and today I am joined by a familiar face. He is the co-host of the Minorities Report podcast and the host of the Colby Told Me podcast. Colby Mack, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing tonight? Yo, 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 what up? It's your boy, Colby Mack, and I'm finally (laughs) back on the Movie Marathoners podcast. Mati, how are you, my brother? I am great. It has been a wonderful day, other than the fact that I got an email from my boss saying that because of this whole crisis of Corona thing that I will be working from home for like, you know, most of the next couple weeks. Yeah, Uh, that is crazy news to me, but it means I'm probably going to be doing a lot of writing in front of TV and rewatching some TV shows or something just to keep me sane. I mean, that's got to be that's got to be a little good. Yeah, it's a silver lining. You know, I, I'm hoping that I'll still stay productive. Sometimes it's really difficult to be productive at home when you're working from home. But we'll see how that goes. <laughs> oh, believe me, bro. I'm the exact same way uh, in, in my day job when I'm not critiquing film. I work for a software company. And uh, yeah, they're taking the same kind of, you know, extend to deep. They're deep cleaning this weekend um, and hoping that the person that they whose family believe may have it doesn't have it so they don't have to then force us to stay home so oh, shit you've got a case yeah. like so th- there's two reported cases in atlanta of course in my county <laughs> <sighs> yeah yeah that sounds awful i mean i just work at a university and it's an international university so i think they're super super careful with uh you know, all the precautions and everything. So we haven't had, you know, classes suspended or anything, but all like travel oh, yeah. for academic purposes and all the like the trips that go to, you know, study abroad and stuff. Those have all been canceled. So it's trying times. I just went to Costco today, man. And for whatever reason, the whole Costco was stocked except toilet paper. There was no toilet paper. I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't understand it. I don't know what just the weirdest things are gone. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe they're just like, oh, it's a, virus so maybe it's gonna cause some problems on the other end i don't i don't know man (laughs) but uh yeah anyways this is this has been corona 2020 watch with uh, colby and monty thank you so much for joining me today we are not just going to be talking about the coronavirus today uh probably a little bit of you know here and there you can't you can't not talk about it um 
last time you were on the pod was in December when we ranked the top five superhero films of the last decade. Yeah. That was a great episode, and I would highly recommend checking that out if you haven't yet. I thought we touched on basically every great superhero film between me and Colby's list, so it was a really good conversation. This week, we'll be doing something similar. Colby and I will be doing a Pixar marathon. We'll be running through all of Pixar's feature films in chronological order, starting, of course, with Toy Story and ending with their latest film, Onward, which is in theaters now. We'll rank each of the 22 films from 1 to 22, with 1 obviously being Pixar's best and 22 probably being Cars 2. I don't have Colby's list, but I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, and then we'll finish with just a longer discussion on Onward and whether you should brave the coronavirus and go and see that out in theaters or not. Uh, but before we hop in, I will just throw out a light spoiler warning here. I don't want us to have to dance around certain parts of these films, and these are all older films. So if you haven't seen a certain film and you want a 100% guarantee that you won't be spoiled about it whatsoever, skip that section. Uh, we will, however, just not be spoiling Onward, as that is, you know, that was just released in theaters last week. So if you do want a spoiler-filled discussion on Onward, I did guest on the Mike, Mike, and Oscar podcast to talk about Onward in depth. So definitely give that a listen and follow their show if for some reason you're listening to this podcast and you're not listening to that one. Um, all relevant links will be in the show notes, as always. All right, so let's just jump straight into this, Colby, with perhaps... Pixar's most influential film. This is their first film in 1995, Toy Story. You are a toy! You weren't the real Buzz Lightyear. You're, a, you're an action figure. You are a child's plaything. You are a sad, strange little man, and you have my pity. Farewell. What are your thoughts on Toy Story, just in general? Man, it's something that at the time when it came out, when I was a kid... I've never seen anything like it. And this is from a guy who's played with action figures up until my college years. I just love how my brain, you know, does with imagination. And when it comes to toys, I've always thought, and it's really weird that when I don't play with them, they take it personally. And then <laughs> here comes a story where literally these toys have feelings. And then that's a part of the Pixar formula going forward is that this has feelings and this has feelings. And it laid the groundwork for one of the most successful studios in cinematic history. And a lot of people have attempted to copy it, some to success, some to not. And the thing is with Toy Story, like out the gate, it set the bar so high. But man, do I love it. And I mean, the amount of work that goes into one making an animated animated film. Uh, but at the time, the animation was like something we've never seen. And the level of voice talent they got to work on a kid's movie was just like out of this world. Tim Allen, Tom Hanks, John Ratzenberger, like it, it it's at some like high, high quality stuff that you typically would not expect for a little kid's film. This is certainly a film that until I got a little more film savvy when I was younger, I definitely associated Tom Hanks with only Toy Story. He was Woody to me. And then when I saw him in live action stuff, I was like, that's the voice of Woody, that Tom Hanks guy. But I would say that I don't think I hold this film quite as high as some people just because uh, it didn't come, you know, I came to it a little later after, you know, Toy Story and some of these other Pixar films had come out. So I never got to experience that kind of revolution that was the animation that came from this film. With that being said, Colby, where is this on your list from 1 to 22? Yeah. So Toy Story, the original one, like after like really thinking about it, it's it's... I actually have it as number six. It's quite wow. high. Okay. 
Um, and it was it was interesting, kind of like when you're going back, and then man, I haven't watched the film in a long time, but I'm kind of remember everything because when I watched the film, I wasn't looking at it from a critical lens, mm-hmm. so I had to kind of approach it a little bit differently. But then after really going through it and thinking about those moments and kind of piecing apart some parts that I may have forgot about, this feels really really good inside my top ten at number six. I mean, I guess we're not that far apart then because Toy Story is number nine for me. And okay. I mean, everything you said, I agree with. I think it's it's a fantastic story and it's got that Pixar world building that just you have such a concept that maybe seems simple from the get-go, but then they really just dig into it and they kind of pull out, you know, they they stretch it to its logical conclusions. And some of the things that they create in this film are is just it's it's really incredible and it's really a fun film to watch. And I think that's a thing that I will probably be coming back to again and again with all these films is that they are incredibly fun. And I think the reason that it may be low quote unquote at number nine for me is that the, um, there's not a profound message in this film in the way that some of the other Pixar films that are a little more, um, trying to tackle a specific thematic aspect are toy story is Mm -hmm. more just a very, very good story and a very, very good concept realized. Yeah. And, and, and I think cause because it was starting out the gate, I think Pixar went through like several evolutions in regards to their storytelling when they realized like how effective that they could be with giving a good kids movie, selling toys, but then offering up something a little bit more for adults. And uh, Toy Story was a testing ground. And obviously, to so much success, it's it's now the one that has the most amount of sequels to it. <laughs> for now. <laughs> For now, now, correct. Yeah. All right. So then after Toy Story in 1995, we get three years go by before we get another one. We get the fairly unforgotten, what I would call a Pixar gem, uh, called A Bug's Life in 1998. Now, let me tell you how things are supposed to work. The sun grows the food. The ants pick the food. The grasshoppers eat the food. And the birds eat the grasshoppers. Like the one that nearly ate you? You remember? You remember? Oh, you should have seen it. Okay? This blue jay, he has him halfway down his throat, okay? And Hopper, Hopper's kicking and screaming, okay? And I'm scared. Okay, I'm not going anywhere near, okay? Oh, come on. It's a great story. Ow, 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 What are your thoughts on a bug's life? It's not ants. <laughs> um, Is that good or bad? It was so weird. Like, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's bad, but when it comes to a lot of these Pixar films, Personally, I don't – well, there's not very many bad Pixar movies. Right. And I don't consider A Bug's Life to be a bad film. Just there was that time in the 90s where you had films that kind of came out pretty much right on the heels or right after, you know, right before another film that was so much like it. Like, you know, Volcano and Dante's Peak and, you know, Armageddon and Deep Impact. And then you had Ants, which was, you know, with uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone, Jennifer Lopez. And then you had A Bug's Life. And Ants appealed way more to me. Don't know why, right? right? Maybe it's just a little bit more mature. But then when I saw Bugs Life, I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. It's really fun. But I just got my bug movie. (laughs) So it didn't stick with me as much as like it possibly should have at that time when it came out. So right now, I actually have a Bugs Life closer to the bottom um, uh, uh, at number 20. Bugs Life for me is actually, I mean, I was three when this movie came out. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> I was 12. I didn't, I didn't want to say I wasn't born when Toy Story came out. So I'll, I'll start. A, yeah, but A Bug's Life was very much the one that over ants appealed to me. So I do have a soft spot for A Bug's Life. I, again, though, haven't seen it since 
I mean, I, I owned it on VHS back in the day yeah. and I probably haven't watched this film in over 10 to 15 years. So that being said, um, the things that I remember about it is that it is, again, just very charming, very entertaining. The entire world that they come up with is very well realized. And then it's got that edge that a lot of Pixar films have that even if they're for children, they still have kind of terrifying moments like Hopper is a very scary villain. And there are some kind of almost... Um, Who's the guy? Tim Burton-esque feels to A Bug's Life. So a little yes. higher for me, I have it at number 15. Okay. Not bad. So then in 1999, we get the first of the many, many, many Pixar sequels. We get Toy Story 2. I'm tour guide Barbie. Please keep your hands, arms, and accessories inside the car and no flash photography. Thank you. I'm a marriage spot. I'm a marriage spot. I'm a marriage Single fellas. Is it as good as Toy Story for you, Kobe? No, but I, okay. what's weird is that I, I thought I thought out of the four, Toy Story two is the weakest, and I don't know what it was where Toy Story two just didn't vibe with me. When I was younger, but like, I feel like now, like retrospectively, a lot of people are kind of adore Toy Stories too. So for me, I have it towards the middle of the pack. I have it at 15. Um, I mean, it introduced another character. It found a way to do the things that when it gets to sequels, it's like, okay, well, let's just like redo this and package it differently. Mm-hmm. It had something new to say. It just, I don't know, it for some reason didn't speak to me as much because I think when it focused a little bit more on, I believe that's the one where it focused a lot more on Sid as like a like a big antagonist. Is that right? Sid? The 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 kid who takes the toys apart and stuff, right? No, that's Toy Story 1. That is Toy Story 1? Well, yeah. see, that says something when I don't <laughs> remember exactly the plot of Toy Story 2. Just didn't stick with me. However, there was something about it where when I kind of looked at a lot of the other films, I'm going to give it up there. Um, so right in the middle of the, well, I guess not in the middle. It's 22 films total. But yeah. at, <laughs> at number 15. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you at number 14. Okay. This is another film that I haven't seen for a quite a while. Um, I do think that, I think the characters in Toy Story 2 are uh, kind of outshine the legacy of Toy Story 2 itself. Okay. So you have characters like Bullseye and uh, Jesse, Jesse, yeah, Jesse played by Joanne Cusack. Those characters feel like very classic Toy Story characters. So even when you go into Toy Story 3, it's not like you've only had a film or even half a film with those characters. They feel just as integral to the Toy Story gang as Buzz and Woody. So I think that, you know, says a lot about Toy Story 2. But as for the actual film, um, yeah, it doesn't hold a special place in my heart (laughs) whatsoever. So right in the middle of the pack. And again, middle of the pack for Pixar. We can talk about this a little bit. This, I mean, the quality of their library is just incredible. (laughs) You know, like the 15th movie in Toy Story 2 is better than the first, you know, two or three movies of most animated film, you know, studios. So, so then their fourth feature is the start of what I would call the golden age of Pixar. This is where they kind of just started firing out masterpiece after masterpiece after masterpiece. They definitely went on a run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the first of all, I'm going to call it a, it's, it's a long golden age, I would say, but we can actually talk about that. Uh, the first one of these, though, is in 2001. This is Monsters, Inc. So you're not supposed to name it. Once you name it, you start getting attached to it. Now put that thing back where it came from or so help me. What are your thoughts on Monsters, Inc.? 
yeah, this kind of like changed some things. Um, I lean heavily into sci-fi, fantasy, and the fact that I have this world of monsters. And one of my favorite kids' films growing up um, was with, um, oh, it was, oh my goodness gracious, with Howie Mandel. And it was real monsters. Do you remember? Do you, have you ever heard of that movie? I don't think I have. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh! So it's with Howie Mandel. He's a monster, and he pretty much. Oh my god! What's the kid from the Wonder Years? Damn it! Uh, <laughs> oh, he was he was in Deadpool too. Oh my gosh! Well, essentially, uh, uh, Ben Savage. Yes, Ben Savage. So Ben Savage and Howie Mandel. It's this. Um, so pretty much, it's like the story of. Uh, Monsters Inc. Except how you know he doesn't believe in monsters underneath his bed until he finds a monster underneath his bed and he goes down into this elaborate world. It's a super dark kids film, um, and <laughs> it's like it is wild. So when I was able to get that like in now this animated form and kind of go through it, like th- the best part of these Pixar films for the for mostly all of them is the world building and kind of looking at this kind of realize and actualize things and it kind of pokes fun a little bit at some of like. I don't want to say the horror genre, but just like, you know, scary, <laughs> you know, movies and motifs that we kind of seen in film. And it was incredibly smart. It was really, really funny. I mean, you got some great voices that lended to it. You could see the animation stepped up even more, like the the actual detail, you know, to Sully's hair. I remember that being such a big focal point to how blown away the folks were. Um, so that definitely cracks the top 10 at number 10 for me with Monsters, Inc., yeah, so this is definitely the first film where Pixar starts just absolutely flexing with their animation capabilities. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you heard reports of how like each individual hair on Sully was individually animated, which I don't even really know what that means, to be honest, but it sounds impressive. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> um, but then again, going back to the Toy Story thing, they have this concept of this entire world and they completely build a realized and logical system around just this idea and it's very clear that it started with a very simple idea they said okay well what if monsters exist and you know these monsters harness our scare our our screams as energy yeah what would that mean and the way that the company or pixar whatever you want to call it is taking these ideas and then kind of fleshing them out into these movies that are not only creatively incredible but also start to now have a lot of really mature and sophisticated themes things like talking about whether fear or comedy is more important and this relationship between boo and Sully. and it's for it's it was one of the first movies that i saw as a kid where i was like i need to see a sequel to this so i know what happens to boo and sully i need to see that interaction with them how long has time like how much time has passed Mm -hmm. since when they see each other next and obviously i think it's better if we don't see that please don't give us a monster thing too (laughs) but this film is is really high for me this is number six for me nice so then we get to 2003's Finding Nemo, which is probably Pixar's first mega hit. Hey, Mr. Grumpy Gills. When life gets you down, you know what you gotta do? I don't wanna know what you gotta do. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. What do we do? We swim, swim. Dorino singing. I love to swim in. Dorino. When you want to swim, you See, I'm going to get stuck now with that song. Now it's in my head. Sorry. This is a film that was so popular that it caused um, the demand for clownfish at pet stores to triple, 
which led to the mass harvesting of clownfish, which just devastated certain populations of clownfish around the world. Wow. And then it also simultaneously caused many fish owners to say, hey, we don't, you know, we don't want to keep our fish because Nemo doesn't want to be kept. So they released their fish back into the ocean, but they failed to put them in the proper habitats. So the releasing of these fish introduced invasive species to reefs all around the world, which just started to cause devastating damage to the indigenous species. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I didn't know this. It is. um, It is quite bizarre. It is. I find it. Hilarious (laughs) hilarious <laughs> that so many people saw a movie where somebody stole a clownfish from the reef and the dad went to all these lengths to get his son back that they would buy more clownfish but um you know i i could see myself as a child also wanting that so with that in mind <laughs> colby what do you think about finding nemo i think finding nemo is a really tender son and dad story and I really wish it didn't came out when I was in high school because I paid it no mind. <laughs> this is okay. the type of movie. <laughs> this is the type of movie that was the furthest from my radar uh, around my sophomore year in high school. So, right. but I, but I like but so I did watch it, but it just didn't it didn't hit me the way that I wish I could have watched it when I was a little bit more mature to kind of really understand and appreciate the themes um, that it was tackling. But mm. having watched it since and. Um, I haven't watched it yet with my daughter. We watched Finding Dory recently. Um, but when I when I do remember it and kind of compare between this and Finding Dory, I find this to be the superior film. I have it at number 14 for me. And I'm pretty sure I'm probably <laughs> in the minority, you know, uh, with that ranking. But like I said, I mean, Pixar is like eating at itself of greatness. And yeah. it's right. – and while of recently – there's been more, I guess, I don't want to say more misses, but just not as big of hits like the Finding mm-hmm. Nemo's and the Toy Stores and stuff like that. Um, it just, it, it's, it's where I got it. So 14. 14, wow. 14. So um, Finding Nemo is not only my number one Pixar film, it okay. is one of my favorite films of all time. Oh, wow. I absolutely love this film and I will completely acknowledge that there is a huge huge factor of nostalgia there you know i don't even know if i could logistically have an argument with somebody who was trying to convince me that this movie was bad because i don't think i would be able to listen to those arguments (laughs) um and i'm I'm certainly not saying that you're saying that this movie is bad but i just i love this movie i think it's so funny i think the characters are so just relatable and brilliantly written and the voice acting behind everybody is pitch perfect and I just I watch this film over and over and over again and it makes me laugh every single time and then it again has those sophisticated messages behind what what do you do as a parent who for very real reason is protective of their son especially a son with a disability which is I mean in Finding Nemo is obviously very literal but you yeah. know you could have any type of thing in your child or a person that you care about that would make them susceptible to danger in the world and how do you balance the idea that you want something for them but you also want to protect them i think it's you know i'm not a father <laughs> mm-hmm. but um i i just think it's a an incredibly wonderful film and i love it and you're wrong no, i'm just kidding <laughs> hey, for, for, to add a little bit of context folks um, in regards kidding, to number 14 
I rate Finding Nemo an eight out of ten. So that just mo- that more so points to how great the catalog is for Pixar films. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm just giving my you number shit. four. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but if my number fourteen is an eight out of ten, that kind of lets you know <laughs> where we're at. But no, that, yeah. that's dope. I, I'm actually I'm going to force myself, and my daughter, to give it a, a rewatch because I really want to. I feel that because like honestly, there's a lot of stuff that you just said that like man, oh that's right, that is tucked away in there. Yeah, yeah, and it's just so fucking funny, man. The 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 freaking seagulls that say mine and the the manta ray and um i i could i could do a whole hour yeah, podcast the sea just like so yeah. i feel i feel like i've seen the show at the disney world park more than i've seen the uh, movie <laughs> that's fair that's fair so yeah i i'm i know that you know i think pixar by nature of the fact that they are kids films and depending on how old you are when certain ones come out there's going to be certain levels of nostalgia that you're not going to be able to separate when you're talking about these movies but finding nemo is my number one so then that was 2003 the following year we got in 2004 we get pixar's fantastic four no wait we get the incredibles you mean you killed off real heroes so that you could pretend to be one? Oh, I'm real. Real enough to defeat you! And I did it without your precious gifts, your oh-so-special powers. I'll give them heroics. I'll give them the most spectacular heroics anyone's ever seen! And when I'm old and I've had my fun, I'll sell my inventions so that everyone can be superheroes. Everyone can be super. And when everyone's super... <laughs> No one will be. What are your thoughts on The Incredibles? Well, I guess we move from your number one to my number one. All right. Hands down, (laughs) The Incredibles. And maybe it's because I'm a boy or maybe it's just damn good. Like, I I don't know what there isn't not to love about this superhero family that is dealing with a world that has shifted away of needing them. And I think that's such an amazing exploration to be able to get this inside of a kid's film is just absolutely amazing. And this was one that even though I was in high school, it just appealed to everything that I love. I grew up on superhero cartoon characters and comic books and the Power Rangers and being able to essentially have this mock-up of the Fantastic Four and then holding the, the movie in such high regard that I'm able to, as I got older, explore the film in different perspectives and and how the family dynamic has changed like the mother needs to stretch herself so that kind of lends to this and then you know um it's it, it's it's just really really amazing and smart and and hella clever and it's really funny it had it like it, each progressive film just steps up the animation that much more and this is probably some of the most action that i've seen inside of a kid's cartoon film like it, you typically don't get that so this film really appealed to all of my sensibilities super hard. It was a lot of fun. Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, I love him as Frozone. <laughs> and the thing is, I think Such out of character. all of the Pixar movies, this has the best villain. And mm-hmm. I love a good villain because I think your superhero can only be as good as your villain. And Syndrome, I mean, it, it just it, it made complete sense. And it was so like, I mean, just... It was so stylized, like this cool kind of 50s aesthetic, you know, to the way how they built out this world. And man, it was number one, hands down. Love it. Awesome. The Incredibles for me is number four. So completely agree with everything you just said. I think the things that 
I'll just touch on a couple things that you didn't mention because I completely agree with everything you said. Can't say it better. Uh, one of the things that really surprised me about this is the relationship between Helen and Bob Parr is so <laughs> realistic. Their arguments that oh feels gosh. like an argument that you would have if you were an actual married couple and you were not, <laughs> you know, animated. Um, just that relationship between those two and how it is tested in this film and the arguments that come from that felt so real and raw that you know this you know surpasses you know that barrier of animation and then same with the kids and their relationship and then the all the themes about you know you could call them randian i guess but all the themes about what happens when you celebrate mediocrity and you kind of try and hide away um true genius or true power yeah power and what happens when you put that into the hands of somebody who doesn't deserve it and all these themes that are just mm-hmm. incredibly well baked into this film in a way that doesn't even it doesn't feel preachy it doesn't feel like they are you know kind of changing the narrative to get to certain points it just everything in this film feels incredibly fluid and then again the action is just incredible so that was completely an accident, not a pun. Um, <laughs> the Incredibles, my number four for sure. Hey. All right. Two years later. So we get a bit of a hiatus, a one one year hiatus. And then in 2006, we get what I think is a post-apocalyptic thriller. That's Cars. <laughs> this is <laughs> This is clearly a film about anthropomorphized cars that have gained sentience and taken over the world after the fall of mankind because there are still gas stations. The cars still have doors. So... Somebody was driving these cars at some point. Um, This is a movie. (sighs) Okay, here we go. Focus. Speed. I am speed. One winner. 42 losers. I eat losers for breakfast. Colby, (laughs) as the father of a young child what are your thoughts on cars and maybe just the cars mega franchise definitely out of everything that's come before cars this was not the one that i thought would spurn the franchise the next great franchise in pixar right i mean up until this point we only had toy story 2 and i loved incredible so much i'm like give me give me give me more like the world that you built i want to i want to (laughs) I, i I want a place for me. Like, give me. And they were more. like, "No, fuck you." How about cars? Give you cars. <laughs> the thing is, though, is that damn did I really enjoy cars? Yeah. Um, and it was a time in my life where I was rebuilding a connection with my younger brother. Um, after I had like you know graduated from high school and kind of came back home for a little bit, and it was one of the first. It was the first film that I ever took him to in the theater. So mm-hmm. just like kind of how you had like the nostalgia feels um, in regards to Finding Nemo. I had this because this was the first film I took my youngest brother to, and he absolutely loved it. Cars was his thing, and it made me subsequently love it. It really does go, like, when you, you the audience that you watch a film with can completely color the way that you feel about it, especially if they're really, really enjoying it. Um, the thing is, when it comes to, like, cartoons and kids' films, I, I really don't find it fair to try to critique it from a lens of, like, a lot of other films there's, there's got to be some balance to it because it's really not playing by the same rules as a lot of other films are like it'd be weird to try to like hold this up to like marriage story like yeah they're not going <laughs> to have the same conventions or mechanisms in regards to the narrative structure because 
it has to do things and hit certain beats to keep kids entertained, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, but I, I mean, I thought the voice cast was a lot of fun and I thought the story was really cool. I, I just thought it was a really good time and actually I have it in December 11 for me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <Pretty high. laughs> so I, I do think that's interesting, that point that you touch on in terms of not, not necessarily judging um, children's films the same way that you judge, uh, you know, films like Marriage Story, which is certainly not a children's story. Um, and I think it's interesting because there are a lot of these Pixar films, like I, I would argue, like The Incredibles that we just talked about, that mm-hmm. when you do hold them up to those kind of quote unquote, this is, sounds really you know, mean, but I don't mean it like this, but quote unquote real films, they, they still hold up to that scrutiny. And I do feel like there are certain films in Pixar's library that intentionally aren't trying to do that. The Incredibles very much clearly is. Brad Bird is a filmmaker that clearly had an incredible story that he wanted to tell. Cars kind of takes a different approach and says, Mm -hmm. look, we just made this Goofy we got to sell toys. Like this is, and, yeah. and, and the thing is, we have to understand from a historical context when it came to kids' films, the purpose is to drive commerce to sell toys, and right. like it, the art was not first. And Disney and, and Pixar, no matter what they say, behind closed doors, they're very blunt. Like we got to sell toys and video games, and while Cars didn't do. Toy Story money or Finding Nemo money, it made a lot of money. And I probably argue it probably made some of the best, like best, uh, the the most impactful merchandise because I oh, saw yeah. car stuff everywhere. Yeah, I mean, you you know, they. I think this is the this is the only um, land in Disneyland inspired by a Pixar film. If I'm not, I guess there's like a Bugs Life well, land. Well, now of, they got they, they got now they got the toy the Toy Story. Oh, you're right. Like, they, that's, okay. But that's super brand yeah. new. Yeah. Yeah. But the fact but, that they did cars before that, like Toy Story came out at this point a decade before. Right. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I, you know, I think there are a lot of people that really strongly dislike this movie. I am not one of them. And I'm pleased to hear that you also are not one of them. So, yeah, I think this is a perfectly pleasant and lovely film. It is middle of the road Pixar for me. I have it at number 16, okay. which, again, is still anywhere from good to great. We're mm-hmm. we're sitting right there. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I don't get the Cars hate, is what I'm saying. I, at I, least from I, Cars I, I 1. I don't. At least, correct. At least from Cars 1. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and it's interesting to talk about, you know, Cars right after Incredibles and then right before this next film, which is another Brad Bird film. In 2007, we got Ratatouille, which is clearly the story about a rat with psychic powers who is able to control <laughs> humans with his mind. It's the only possible way that this film makes sense. In the past... I have made no secret of my disdain for Chef Gusto's famous motto, Anyone can cook. But I realize only now do I truly understand what he meant. Not everyone can become a great artist, but a great artist can come from anywhere. But this is a film that basically sells no merchandise because nobody's going to buy a rat. Although, side mark, I think I did actually one time when I went to Disneyland when I was a kid, I bought like a Remy the Rat stuffed animal. So, but this is a film that is very much more like a film that's trying to have a message and not to sell toys. Yeah. So Colby, what's your thoughts on Ratatouille? 
I, lo- I love this movie. Um, one, I'm a foodie. Nice. I thought the music was great. And man, it really knows how to hit you in the feels. And then this had a very strong antagonist. And I think as I'm looking more and more, uh, you know, inside of like my top 10, um, you're going to start seeing like that theme. I really enjoyed the playfulness of this film, um, the two different worlds kind of colliding. And then ultimately this this friendship and this bond because they both needed one another. I think the voice cast is really great. And I have Ratatouille at my number seven spot. Number seven. Awesome. Again, right there with you. I love Ratatouille. I think it is one of the most underappreciated films in Pixar's library for sure. Um, This is the most recent film that I have rewatched other than Onward, of course. Um, My girlfriend, hi Dana, had not seen Ratatouille. And so I was like, you have to see this movie. This is a movie. I, I don't I don't want to be that person that's always like, oh, you have to see this movie. But I, I thought this movie was it's, it's just what it what it does in terms of having a theme that is so underappreciated, but so important. And this idea that I, I every time I see a rat, <laughs> like when I'm just walking around the streets of Boston and I see a rat, I'll point at it and scream anybody can cook because that message is just so powerfully explained in this movie. And I, I love it. And then, of course, you've got everything else that makes a Pixar movie so good. You've got the side characters that are hilarious. You've got Will Arnett in a French accent playing the, <laughs> one of the chefs who just, uh, you know, lies about how he killed a man every time or something like that. I, I don't really know. good. <laughs> and then the the level of detail and just I I could not believe how well this movie held up. It's from yeah. 2007, but it looks like it was filmed last year it, it just it yeah. looks beautiful and it's hilarious and i i absolutely love this movie so this is my number three. Oh, nice so then after that we start churning out these movies about once a year for the next like decade almost uh which i mean given the quality at this point i think that's pretty incredible they're successfully churning these movies out once mm-hmm. every year in 2008 we get wally <laughs> This is the film about how you can score a girl completely out of your league if you're the only one left on Earth. Bam. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. Eve's way out of Wally's league, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Colby, what are your thoughts on Wally? I mean, it's probably... I I think at this point, Pixar is leaning into something where they know they can do things a little bit differently. Um, Like I said, I don't think Ratatouille ever went in with, like, let's sell toys because just inherently that story wasn't about that. With Wally... I think they said, okay, I think we can do both here, but I mean, this is probably one of the strongest first acts of, like, Mm -hmm. I prefer the first half of Wally much more than the second half. And that's saying something because I think the second half is really strong as well, but this had a commentary on, like, like our society. And I think this is the first film that really, really dug into that. Like, 
this was what was this was this movie really what it's about like <laughs> yeah <laughs> like you know it's obviously it was about like you know the way that we treat our world and stuff like that but then it was also the way that we treat ourselves and it, it it's it was really it's a really strong message and this was beautiful like i think like the the sound the sound mix and design in this film is like really really impressive i remember when i watched it in theaters i'm like yo this is not a kids film and honestly i think it was probably a bit too mature in the first like first part, it, yeah. it's like a very long short film that you would get at the beginning of a Pixar film. You know, it's kind of like a silent film too. For it about really the first 30 is, minutes. and that can be really unnerving for little kids. So they had to be clever in putting little things that brought out the comedy. You know, because you don't get, I mean, you get Eve quick, but like not like right out the gate. You know, mm-hmm. um, so it just really was all on this little garbage picking robot and it's incredibly sweet and i actually have wally inside my top 10 i have it right behind ratatouille at number eight awesome wally for me is also in my top 10 it is my number seven film okay and i think what's great about this film is that pixar is starting to realize that they can kind of uh experiment like you said but also just get away with things and not really tell us what they're actually doing Mm -hmm. and just trusting that people will go see their movies um I, don't, I mean, I haven't seen the Wally trailer for a long time, but I had no idea that this was going to be about environmentalism. And no one did. This was yeah. a, this was a shock <laughs> to a lot yeah. of people. And so you see the trailer, and you're like, "Oh, it's this dinky little adorable robot that has you know these quirky qualities." But then from that, they start bringing in all these new things about. What happens when we start relying too heavily on technology and what happens to the earth and what happens when, you know, we start abusing the earth? And (laughs) I mean, it's a crazy concept for a kid's movie again, which maybe it's less of a kid's movie than something like Cars again, but it certainly is animated and it is for children uh, on some level. And so to be able to make a film that is this powerful for you know, for that type of film is fantastic. So Wally easily up in uh, my top 10. So that was 2008. And then in 2009, we see the release of Up, which is essentially a five minute short film that they just padded an extra 91 minutes to the end of so that you had time to dry out your eyes before leaving the theater. But no, actually, it is a 96 minute movie with an entire plot that isn't just going to make you cry in the first five minutes. My master made me this collar. He is a good and smart master, and he made me this collar so that I may talk. Squirrel! Colby, after the first five minutes, what are your thoughts on Up? Um, the strongest five minutes of the entire Pixar uh, cinematic universe, um, their entire catalog. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, just even, you, you sell this as a short film, um, and it could have won the Oscar. Did it win for, I don't need, did it win for, when did Best Animated Feature come into play? That was like 2001, because I think was. Shrek was the first uh, okay. animated feature film winner. Yeah. Did this win Best Animated Feature? I, it had to, because it was nominated for Best Picture, I believe, too. Oh, that's right. Okay. So then yeah. I'm just going to give it that. It could have yeah. won Best Short Film. It could have won like a bunch of stuff. Um, it's an incredibly strong opening to a film. It has a really solid rest of the first act and second act. I don't know. I, I think I'm in the minority with this one, but I don't know why. I'm just, th- there's something about the, the hokiness of the third act that lost mm-hmm. me a bit, because the first act is so poignant um, mm-hmm. and it kind of lost that the rest of the way and it was still fun. So like I have this at my number nine, but it's, it. I think that it just, in regards to balance, it's a little bit more lopsided, but it's not a fault because it's like, it's lopsided because it's just the most strongest opening of almost any film ever. <laughs> you know? <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, totally fair. I I love Doug in this film. He shoots it up for me quite a bit. Hilarious, hilarious, just concept and and Alpha having that broken vocal collar and everything. Great, great little details like that. Um, The hokiness that you talk about, there is a part where Carl has to kind of scale the side of a blimp uh, at one point to (laughs) save this bird. If I have to scale the side of a blimp for a bird, <laughs> fuck that bird. That bird is dead. I I am not scaling the side of a blimp, especially as like a geriatric 80 plus year old man. No, yeah. thank you. So, um, but yeah, this film, it, it's really touching. I yeah. really love the relationship between Carl and I can't remember the kid's name, Russell, maybe. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, just just a great relationship there. And again, a great message and a really interesting premise, even though if you start to think about literally how many balloons would be needed to float a house, the premise of this movie doesn't make sense at all. (laughs) But that being said, it's just in my top 10 at number 10. Okay. All right. So now we start moving into what I'm going to call Pixar's fuck you, I want money phase, where (laughs) most of their movies are just sequels or prequels or spinoffs or whatever. Um, Fortunately, this starts with, in my opinion, an excellent sequel. This is 2010's Toy Story 3. You got a lot to look forward to, folks. The little ones love new toys. What a nice bear. And he smells like strawberries. What are your thoughts, Colby? Well, definitely the I want money because I didn't know that we needed a Toy Story thing 3. Somehow they lucked up in... (sighs) I don't know how they did it, but they lucked up in delivering on the story, progressing these toy story characters forward. (laughs) (laughs) We really thought that their stories were done. And I mean, it it, it delivered probably one of the most impactful, you know, last 15 minutes um, of a film in their catalog. And it's incredibly strong. It's 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 brilliantly voice acted. And I mean, the visuals are absolutely stunning. So yeah, Toy Story 3, rightfully so. I don't want to say it's overrated. I think it's definitely properly rated. It's at my number four. Number four. Wow. So yeah. that that is higher than one and two, correct? That's correct. Yeah. I have Toy yeah. Story 3 higher as one and two. Yeah. So same for me. This is higher than one and two for me. This is my number eight film. Agree with everything that you said. Toy Story 3 is my Toy Story, I would say. It is was around the time that I was getting ready to kind of start moving on from growing up and things like that so mm-hmm. i very much related you know andy's a little older than i was at that time but yeah this film somehow they managed to do the impossible and make a third toy story relevant and uh, i mean not to jump a couple films but they did that again with toy story 4 so <laughs> i know you know crazy if they're gonna make toy stories i, I trust them at this point so oh, yeah Let's talk about when I don't trust Pixar. Uh, We have hit a bump in the road in 2011 with Cars 2. I never properly introduced myself. Finn McMissile, British intelligence. Co-mighty, average intelligence. Is that what we're calling it? A bump? Yeah, a bump in the road. (laughs) You like the pun? Because cars drive on roads. Love it. Love it. (laughs) Yeah, so this is kind of known as Pixar's first actual dud. It is... A lot of people call it their first genuinely bad film. And for that reason, I have not seen this film and I have no intentions of seeing it. There are a lot of other films that I can see instead of it. So for me, it's 22 Um, just, you know, because or I shouldn't even rank it. It's not fair to rank it if it's if I haven't seen it. But what are your thoughts on Cars 2, Colby? Number 21. Okay. That is my thoughts. (laughs) Okay. All right. 
interested to see what's number 22. But let's move on. Um, <laughs> so after that, in uh, 2012, we get Brave, in which a young girl overcomes her speech impediment to become Queen of the Bears. That's what I remember about this. Um, <laughs> Pretend I'm Melda. Speak to me. What would you say? I can't do this. Sure you can. There, there. That's my queen. Right, here we go. I don't want to get married. I want to stay single and let my hair flow in the wind as I ride through the glen, firing arrows into the sunset. Obviously doesn't have a speech impediment. That's very mean. She is Scottish or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember this movie being incredibly average. Um, and I was not a fan. What are your thoughts? It's a really pretty movie. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, oh man, it sucks. Like one, <laughs> 2000. So I had a lot of things going on in 2012. Like I birthed my kid out there. Well, I didn't birth my kid. My wife did. Shout out to the Mrs. Mac. Um, <laughs> so it's like, this wasn't on my purview at all. But I remember like having to sell the merchandise when I was an assistant manager of a subway. And I was like, what the hell is this movie about? Who is this movie for? <laughs> like, and, and it sucks because like, you know, we don't, we didn't have films strictly marketed for like, you know, to try to get girl audiences there and i think that merit is a very strong girl character um i i, I think it, it, for representation this film worked a lot um it's a pretty looking film it looks mm-hmm. really 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 good um and i love a lot of the traditional aspects of like the indigenous songs and stuff like that that was included in the culture but there's no really like worthwhile antagonist and i just kind of ride it on me so when i watched it i'm like okay it's kind of inconsequential so i've got it at number 18 Okay. Yeah. It's, it's number 20 for me. I just, for whatever reason, and I, I think this movie genuinely would have worked better if they had kept it with the original director. I cannot remember her name, but it was originally going to be helmed by a female director. And it feels like there was just this mismatch of stuff that didn't work out. You know, you've got this, what I believe the, the central theme of the original film was going to be was this relationship between the mother and the, uh, the daughter Merida. Mm-hmm. But then they start introducing all this random crap about, uh, it's, it's sort of got like a brother bear thing going on where somebody turns yeah. into bears. I, it, it's, it's a, it's a sloppy movie, but you're right. It is beautiful. And I think that that's going to be the thing from here on out that no matter what I feel about these movies, they are gorgeous, gorgeous films. Oh yeah. So, after 2012, we are in 2013, and Pixar is actually nice enough to celebrate me graduating high school by <laughs> releasing Monsters University. Hello, I'm Terry with a Y. And I'm Terry with an I. I'm a dance major. And I'm not. Five, six, seven, eight, two, 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 two seven, eight, turn! And turn! Why didn't you turn? Because we never agreed to do this. You said this was going to be cool. No one said this was going to be cool. Now I'm embarrassed. Now you're embarrassed. Yes, because it's in front of people. You should wake up embarrassed. <laughs> This is the prequel story to Monsters, Inc. that teaches kids the important lesson that sometimes you just suck at things and there is nothing you can do about it. And (laughs) I'm kind of kidding, but that literally is the message of this movie, which is pretty incredible to me. I actually really love this movie. And part of it is because it came out the same year I started college. So let's start with the unbiased thoughts first. Colby, what are your thoughts on Monsters University? I thought it was fun. Um, it was great being able to see these characters back, Sully and Mike. And, you know, um, it was cool to try to remember like, oh, like this is cool. This is what they were doing a few years before mm-hmm. they got like into the swing of their stuff and everything like that. Um, it felt like we, I mean, this is definitely one of those, we didn't need it, 
But like, I'm glad yeah. that we got it, right? I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think that it elevated the, you know, the monsters ink mythos more. Much, I would definitely. I, I'm a guy that I like to go forward as opposed to going back, unless like it's absolutely essential. And it just, yeah, it didn't stick with me like I, I would have liked it to. So I have it at number sixteen. Okay, this is my stir the pot number. Uh, it is. I, I have it at number five, just because oh, whoa. Okay. <laughs> I wanted it in my top five. That might be a, a bit hyperbolic, but I do genuinely love this film. And I really think that that message of it's okay to be okay is mm-hmm. something that you do not see in children's movies. Yeah. That you, you do not see the message that, look, there are things that maybe you want to do, but you can't do them. And no matter how hard you try, you are just not going to do certain things. And it's kind of a heartbreaking message, but the fact that Mike moves on and he becomes a pivotal character in Monsters, Inc. And, you know, he eventually does come to be a great stand-up comedian or, you know, whatever that the end of Monsters, Inc. shows is it's it's really powerful to me. And I also did was just a sucker for the G-rated version of college that you see in this (laughs) film. So, yeah, super biased, but Monsters University is my number five. So at me, please. It's good for the uh, like the algorithm. Yes. <laughs> All right. Inside Out. This was uh, we got two years of a hiatus before they released Inside Out in 2015. Take her to the moon for me. Okay. This, as far as I'm concerned, is a masterpiece of a film. But I'll let you take it away first. Colby, what is, uh, what are your thoughts on Inside Out? Yeah, um, it was tough. I remember when I saw the trailer the first time, I'm like, wow, this is interesting because this reminded me a lot of what Toy Story did visually. Toy Story mm-hmm. changed the game. And after seeing Cars 2 and Brave and Monsters University, it's not that we kind of lost hope in Pixar. We're just like, man, I wonder what this is going to Whoa. Yep. <laughs> okay. I, uh, all right. I'm looking at the talent. I'm like, okay. And I'm seeing the trailer. All right. Then you're watching the movie. This is fun. Love the world. Exploring. What if our thoughts had their own thoughts and emotions? And what if our emotions were really driving us? And we're like these machines. And it really navigated, you know, what being a preteen was like, especially in the transition and moving. And it did. I, I love it when these kids films can incorporate the parents, because for a lot of times when I grew up as a kid, parents were kind of either gone or there was only one of them and it's almost like they didn't matter and i love how these parents while they're not the focus of the film they were still greatly a part of this story and it it it, i I love the balance because you kind of see these emotions being parental figures in a sense how they're driving you know um, our lead character and i mean this is where pixar said okay we are going to emotionally manipulate you like, this is what we're going to do. We, <laughs> yeah. we tried the fun stuff and everything like that. But like now we're going to use these next films that are going to be coming with a couple of like hiccups along the way. And we're just going to murder you. And um, <laughs> Bing, oh, I can't say his name. Bing Bong. Bing Bong. <sighs> yeah. I mean, come on. It, it's it's it, And you know what's crazy? I have this film so high and there's not a central antagonist to this. No. Nope. There just really, really isn't. It's my number two Pixar film. It All is, right. It it is a, it's an absolutely like I have it as a ten out of ten. 
It is also my number two. It is also a 10 out of 10 for me. 10 out of 10, man. I fucking love this movie, man. So Um, good. The central, the lack of a central antagonist is what just absolutely makes this film work. It is, you know, you think that sadness is going to be this antagonistic force early on in the film. And then what it ends up coming out and saying about sadness and how important that is in just being a healthy human being, how you, you can't be, you need it. You can't be mentally healthy without being sad and, or, or having, you know, the uh, access to the emotion of sadness. Mm -hmm. Um, and just, just everything about not only the world building, you know, that's all, it's almost crazy to kind of like hand wave that away because we expect that from Pixar, but just the, the message of what it's like to have emotions and how different, emotions can and different memories can be both happy and sad and the complexity of that and i i just think that that's incredible and one of the things i really love about this film is that when you take a step back and you look at riley and her situation it's like okay i mean it's 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 not that it's not that serious situation yeah. yeah like no one's dying um there there it's not like the world isn't ending or anything like that it is this girl she's a teenager and it's a very real problem that she's having and probably a problem that literally everybody in the world can empathize with yes. in some way of feeling isolated or feeling like you you are you miss home or you you're uprooted from the foundation that you grew up with so it's also saying that look let's not we're not going to over dramatize this we're not going to say oh man wow well, wouldn't it be crazy if this girl was you know she had cancer or something um this is something that is is showing the complexity of every day-to-day life. And I think that that's why Inside Out is a masterpiece. And if it wasn't for Finding Nemo's um, nostalgia, then Inside Out, I mean, it's just an incredible film. And anybody who hasn't seen it, go see it. Like, holy shit. If you don't cry or like at least blubber up a little bit or something, you're dead inside. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So then only a couple, uh, that, so yeah, inside out huge high. I'm like, okay, yes. You know, there were some hiccups, even, you know, even though I loved monsters university, I acknowledge that it's, you know, it's, it's not doing the exact same things that something like inside out are. So we're really high on this. And then in 2015, we get the good dinosaur. He likes you. <laughs> Imagine that Ramsey, even with your stinky face. Smash boundaries. This is my personal bubble. Nah, that ain't your bubble. This is your bubble! Nash, get out of your sister's bubble. This is a film where I'm, I'm sure a lot of people who are listening have not seen this movie, so I shit you not, a dinosaur and a feral child get high on fermented rotting fruits. <laughs> that happens in this movie. Colby Mack. Thoughts on The Good Dinosaur. This is my absolute number 22 ranked Pixar film. All right. And this is most certainly a certified stinker. When I watched this film with my little girl, she's like, what is going on here? Why did you take me to this movie? What's up with this sad dinosaur? That's the name of the movie, The Sad Dinosaur, not The Good Dinosaur. This sad, just absolutely draining story. And it's, it's, I don't, just the animation style, the choice of, you know, you know, characterizing this dinosaur in this way. I just, I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm not, it's, it's got a lot of stuff going on and it just, it it just, it didn't feel right. This, this, the thing is though, outside of the character design, 
a lot of the other elements visually like were really good. I just couldn't mm-hmm. care anything about the story. Yeah. You know, and there's so many dinosaur movies, like you really got to bring it home. Like I'm a land before <laughs> time kind of guy and I stuck through all oh, 10 yeah. of those bad boys. Okay. So <laughs> damn, we watched a lot of those when we were kids, but I, even I didn't see those last couple ones, man. Oh yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. They, they definitely got redundant, but I mean the first, like <laughs> first three or four. Whew, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, so this movie feels more like a uh, like a VFX reel or like a really expensive way to try and do some really cool animation because uh, I, I think the it's not even a selling point because this movie, for what I know, bombed. Um, but the kind of the thing that stuck out about this movie was that it was almost hyper realistic, the backgrounds. So oh, you yeah. had these like very cartoonish characters moving around in what in some ways felt like actual wyoming which is pretty crazy and that is gorgeous but yeah it doesn't work at all as a film and um you know that gets old pretty quickly so this is my number 18 um just because i do like what it's doing with the uh, the elements of of nature and kind of making that or so hyper realistic i really like that and then there's a couple other films that we haven't talked about that i <laughs> that really pissed me off so <laughs> the good dinosaur did not piss me off Speaking of a film that did piss me off, in 2016, Pixar releases Finding Dory. Hi, Dory! Ahoy there! <laughs> Do you want to play hide and seek? Okay. <laughs> we'll hide, and you count and come find us. Okay, Daddy. No, no, not Daddy. I'm the nice fish who wants to be your friend. Okay? Okay, Daddy. No. I'm hiding! Now count to ten. This is the second Pixar sequel to break... $1 billion at the global box office. And I was obviously stupid, stupid hyped for this movie because it is a sequel to my one of my favorite movies of all time. Thoroughly, thoroughly disappointed by it. I thought it, in some cases, completely jumped the shark by having an octopus drive a truck. And there was just, I was just very, very disappointed by coming back to this well and the output that it had. But uh, Colby, thoughts on Finding Dory? <laughs> Yeah, um, well, with where I had Finding Nemo ranked and kind of mm-hmm. using that as my frame of reference going in, did this need another, did this need a sequel? One, I, I don't know if I can call this a sequel. It's, I mean, it is, Yeah. but the suspension of disbelief that's needed to really appreciate this film, and granted it's a cartoon movie, I just felt like it was such a stretch, and you're right, it jump the shark and it's funny i think it's definitely an enjoyable movie but i dory wasn't like a really like a, a really big character that i gravitated too much in the original so i didn't really have a long leash for this film so this is at my number 17 yeah okay and sorry do you remind me what finding nemo was for you yep so finding nemo was number 14 okay Okay. Yeah. So Finding Dory for me is number 19. So a huge fall for me, (laughs) (laughs) like minus 18 places on the sequel. And yeah, it just, this movie genuinely felt like a film that was made for the Disney junior crowd. So not even like, you know, the 10 or 11 year olds or whatever. This felt like it was for four year olds that just like pretty colors and if you put an octopus that's red on screen, then they're going to be entertained for oh, yeah. an hour. So very, very disappointed here. Yeah. I mean, and, and then to think about, you know, you had, you know, before this film, 
you had inside out not to like and and, yep. and, 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 I, and once again i feel like the bar had been raised again and then we just kind of like we had the good dinosaur and that didn't work and then we had finding door and like guys like you know what you just did before right yeah <laughs> so it, it's so tough so i felt like we i, I think maybe i was harder on the studio because i just i expected more yeah completely agree and again for me because it's finding the finding nemo franchise i guess that like come on come on if if you're gonna come back to this i need i need something great so um a year later we get in 2017 we get cars three hey jackson storm right great race today wow thank you mr mcqueen you have no idea what a pleasure it is for me to finally beat you. Oh, thanks. Wait, <laughs> hang on. Did you say meet or beat? I think you heard me. Uh, this is a film that I, I did not watch in theaters. I watched it when it came on Netflix, like, you know, two years ago or Same. whatever. Uh, <laughs> Same. <laughs> this film feels like it's borrowing themes from a Scorsese film, but yep. it happens to be about cars. And by what I what I mean by that is that this film is very interested in legacy and the idea of aging and transitioning from being an athlete to being a coach. And um, I think this film was a little more effective on me than others, because in 2017, I had or, you know, when I saw this in 2018 or whatever, I had just had a very close coach of mine pass away. So I was very um reflective of what his legacy was on me and other athletes that he had coached so this film was very important to me for that but even with that the mismatch of this and some of the more like herpy derp i'm mater and kind of you know there's a whole scene in this where they're like doing like a mud rodeo with like an angry school bus it, it just it doesn't work and i think that you know, if if Pixar was really gutsy and they had decided to go full Scorsese, for lack of a better word, I guess, with Cars Three, you could have gotten something really incredible here. For me, it sits at seventeen. It's not it's not awful by any means, but um, it's it's seventeen. So bottom of the pack for me. Yeah, uh, I would absolutely agree with that. I'm I'm not too far um, behind you there. I have it at number nineteen. Um, definitely better than Cars Two. <laughs> I'd say <Yeah>. that, <laughs> um, but um, still, like, and you know, the fact that I have I have the first cars right outside of my top ten, it's still nowhere near kind of really gets to where that was, and I think it's mm-hmm. a tough, it's it's a tough property to kind of crack because it is so I want to say out there. It's just it, it's the most cartoony of yeah. it, you know what I mean? So it's like yeah. it really it, it can lend itself to working better as a stretched out TV series. You know, or like just like those individual one-off cartoons as opposed to a feature film. Yeah, completely agree. So then later in 2017, we get Coco. What color is the sky? I'm your amor, I'm your amor. You tell me that it's red. I'm your amor, I'm your amor. Where should I put my shoes? I'm your amor, I'm your amor. You say, put them on your head. I'm your amor, I'm your amor. This is a great film that is an all-Latino cast about the Day of the Dead. Colby, thoughts on Coco? Man, uh, <laughs> talk about an absolutely stellar... I mean, we're back to... Oh, so you guys did remember how you did Inside Out. <laughs> yeah. Great. 
because it's like when, whiplash. when I heard of Coco, I got a little turned off by it because obviously we had just consecutive films of just ugh, good dinosaur, Finding Dory, Cars 3 for me, right? And right. there was a film that came out a couple years before called The Book of Life. Um, but we're back to a truly visually stunning picture. The music is great. I mean, come on. These songs are incredible. Really? I, mm-hmm. And this did it for me. So Coco at number three. Number three. Wow. That's awesome. Yes, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Coco is another. It's like for every Cars 3. Well, that's too mean to Cars 3. But for every Cars 3, there's a Coco. And yeah. I thought that this film, again, was a, a return to form. And that just that that single image of when he first gets into the, the land of the dead mm-hmm. and sees that entire, I don't even know what you call it, but it's sort of like the the um the like towers of houses oh and all the gosh. colors it's just the design is so cool that scene alone jesus christ so good um and then again yeah the the message about how uh, i i thought it was beautiful how music was used as a way to uh remember people and as a way to um as a way to help like improve Coco's memory and uh, how she used that as a way to remember her father. And then again, just, I don't, I don't want to keep tying it back to the same thing, but this again was around the time when somebody very close to me passed away. And I was starting to think about uh, how they're remembered and um, how you appreciate them and what happens when people stop thinking about the people who have passed on. So there's yeah. some really layered things in here. Um, this number is going to seem very large for all the positivity that I just gave. But that, again, we keep saying this is just a testament to the quality of films that Pixar makes. So Coco for me is number 12. But okay. I would still consider this a great to fantastic film. I'll absolutely accept that. So we are getting pretty close to the end here. This is now the 20th film from Pixar. This is 2018's The Incredibles 2. Because I'm formulating, Okay. I'm taking in information, I'm processing. I'm doing the math, I'm fixing the boyfriend and keeping the baby from turning into a flaming monster. How do I do it? By rolling with the punches, baby. I eat thunder and crap lightning, okay? Cause I'm Mr. Incredible. Not Mr. So-so or Mr. Mediocre Guy. Mr. Incredible. This is a film that is essentially just The Incredibles, but they increased the volume of everyone's lines by two. <laughs> um, Colby, this is your number. The Incredibles was your number one film. What are your thoughts on Incredibles two? My number thirteen. Thirteen. Okay. And that seems like such a far separation. I mean, you look at your number one film to where you know Defining Dory was, and I, I think it's because when it worked so well. It is going to be super challenging to try to improve on that. And mm-hmm. keep in mind, probably about 30 minutes ago, I said, I want so much more from that sh- from, from that <laughs> world, right? Yeah. And th- I mean, keep in mind, we kind of pick up not far from where we left off. The thing is, though, is that I have now, like, I'm so much further from where this film left off. I mean, what, what are you talking like 15 plus years? Yeah. You know, from when this film came out, from, so from 2004 to 2018. So, yeah, 14 years. So, I, I almost wish that the characters would have progressed, but then I understand just the the, the finance, the, fin- the financials behind keeping those characters the same. Like, I completely got yeah. it. But I, I felt like it kind of was stunted in the stories that it was able to tell and it pretty much just ended up being like The Incredibles all over. The thing is, is that 
when it's the number one film and you're going to do that all over again and you're going to just increase the volume on everything, well, you're not going to do it bad. It's just not going to be as special. So that's yeah, it. Number 13. I think I, I think I do agree with you on everything. Um, my number is much lower than that, though. And granted, okay. Incredibles was what? I think my number three film, uh, number four. And I have this at number 21. This film. Oh, wow. Um, and I think this may be a a, um, a byproduct of expectations, mm-hmm. as well as the fact that a lot of people were very positive on this film. And so because of that, I had even higher hopes for this that I was like, OK, this is let's look at the facts. Brad Bird has never made a sequel to his films before this. Um, and he explicitly said he would not be returning to this film unless he had a story he wanted to tell. It baffles me that 14 years later, this is the story that he chose to tell. Um, because for all the reasons you just said, it it feels like a rehash. Because they, they just yeah. started from the exact moment that it left off. It felt like all these characters were in literally in arrested development while the rest of the world grew and our understanding of superheroes evolved because of things like the MCU. And it just, it felt like a complete missed opportunity. And not only was it a missed opportunity in that way, it just wasn't as remotely as creative there. The villain I thought in here was a incredibly predictable speaking of twists and B nowhere near as compelling or um, didn't even really have a side that I could understand like buddy or syndrome or whatever from Incredibles one. So this film just disappointed me on every level. And I tried to see it a second time to give it a second chance and be more open to it and know, know what was coming and, you know, not expecting these kind of pivotal things, but it just, this film completely disappointed in me in probably a bigger way than finding Dory. So I, I, and then, you know, you have a film that comes out that same year called Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. We have oh. talked about this film together yeah. before. Um, I was scared out of my mind that Incredibles two would get the Oscar over Spider-Verse. I was so happy that that was not the case. So that just sort of kind of piled onto my probably hyperbolic distaste for this movie. But Incredibles 2, 21, and I'm very confident with that. <laughs> hey, I'll take so. it, bro. Good job. All right. <laughs> I'm going to get off my soapbox. Uh, last year in 2019, we got Toy Story 4. All right, Forky, you have to understand how lucky you are right now. You're Bonnie's toy. You are going to help create happy memories that will last for the rest of her life. Huh? What? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Doing it for Bonnie. Doing this for Bonnie. Doing it for Bonnie. Okay. Like it or not, you are a toy. Maybe you don't like being one, but you are one nonetheless, which means you are going to be there for Andy when he comes. Who's Andy? So this, again, was a film that has really no reason to exist other than the fact that it's a really good film. Uh, We didn't need it, but we got it anyways, and I thought it was fantastic. Colby, what are your thoughts on Toy Story 4? Yeah, bro, you are absolutely right. It is... it, It really is fantastic, and... I didn't have any hopes for it. Um, I got a chance to see it in London when I was on vacation and saw it in like the biggest IMAX screen that I ever oh, did. Wow. And it was just like really, really, really uh, powerful, which I didn't think it had any business being because I thought we were done. Like mm-hmm. Toy Story 3 was a great ending and it's a, it's the number three. Like you don't do a four for what? <laughs> you know, it, 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 <laughs> right. it's definitely not a movie that we asked for, but it's a, it's a movie that we ended up needing. Um, 
it, it's it's just another masterfully animated Pixar film. It it blew me away. Like it is. I mean, just Pixar and, and water is absolutely like stunning. There, there's really yep. nothing like it. And there's so many moments inside that film that are just truly outstanding. And it, it's a poignant story. And it's from these characters that we all grew up with. And the good thing is, is that unlike with Incredibles 2, even though their ages don't change, I can see how their personality has changed so much. And it's changed yeah. along with me. It's changed about life and with their identity. And it's the perfect ending um, for Woody. This is Woody's ending. This is Swan Song. You know, and, and because now I can trust that, you know, Pixar will get any Toy Story movie, right? Um, do not undo what you did and have Woody return. He is, he's good. This movie will make you laugh. Um, it'll make you definitely cry and probably has the strongest last line in any Pixar movie. And I don't, I don't, those, those little ending credit stuff, that, that doesn't count. <laughs> but that <laughs> yeah, does not yeah. count. When Rex says to him, oh, is Woody going to be a lost toy? And my boy Buzz says, no, <laughs> he's not lost. <laughs> <laughs> and then Woody, and then Woody says to infinity, and Buzz says, and beyond, my gosh, I broke, bro. I lost it. I'm like, I, I don't know how you could write anything better. <laughs> I didn't you weren't getting... the only one, man. I didn't. Uh, Tom Hanks cry when he read this. Oh my god! I think I... that was the. Yeah. So uh, where does this rank for you? Oh now? yeah, I guess I should get to that point, right? This. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that gets to my number. Uh, I think it's number five. Number, number five. five. Yes. Wow. And so that was just just a right after shy? Toy Story three. So I got Toy Story four um, and number number three spot. Toy uh, sorry, Toy Story four number five. Toy Story three and number four. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I agree with everything you said. Toy Story 4 for me is number 11. So just a little bit below Toy mm -hmm. Story 3, just sitting on the outside looking at that top 10, but completely agree with everything you say. I think some of the new characters are fantastic, like Ducky and Bunny, oh that my gosh, yes. recurring gag of them attacking the old lady. I've, I can't remember. And a that shouldn't have worked. It shouldn't have worked. No. It really, really <laughs> shouldn't. And damn it did. And Forky, come on. Forky. Yeah, Forky. Duke Kaboom. I thought Forky was going to be like grating and obnoxious, but he was not. He was perfect for what, you know, his role in the story was. Yes. And so he was great. Yeah. And I mean, Tony Hale, like, does a, he's a phenomenal voice actor. He's, he's, he's a mm -hmm. comedic genius. And being able to incorporate, <laughs> being able to incorporate Keanu Reeves in this and Duke Kaboom, yep. it was just, <laughs> it, 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 you, you knew exactly what you wanted from him. And he completely delivers. And, you know, and, and then you you still didn't. Get, I mean, I don't want to say you gave a shaft to like a lot of the other characters, but I think they, you know, they had their time. I mean, RC, you only see him in like the first, you know, few minutes of the film, <laughs> you know, and then bringing Bo Peep back and making her complete badass. Like, come on. Yeah, I I was gonna say the 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 one downside of having the characters like Ducky and Bunny is that you do get you know characters like Jesse and mm -hmm. even to an extent and, Buzz, mm -hmm. they they get a little shafted in this. True. Um, so with that being said, if they make a Toy Story 5, I agree with you. Woody's done. Don't bring him back. Focus on the those characters and whatever they get up to without Woody. I think that would be the way that they should go for a Toy Story 5. And based on the amount of money this made, I don't see why they wouldn't do a Toy Story 5. So, And I will certainly trust them to do a Toy Story 5, whatever oh, yeah. they do. All right. 
Last but not least, or at least not last for me, <laughs> um, or at least not least for me, is Pixar's 22nd film. That was this year's Onward. I will just actually read an actual synopsis for this one very quickly. Two teenage elf brothers, Ian and Barley Lightfoot, go on a journey to discover if there is still magic left out there in order to spend one last day with their father, who died when they were too young to remember him. The film stars Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. It is written by Dan Scanlon, Jason Headley, Keith Bunnan, and it is directed by Monsters University's Dan Scanlon. In times of old, the world was full of wonder and magic. But times change. Morning, Mom. Hey, birthday boy. By the laws of yore, I must dub thee a man today. Kneel before me. That's okay. I have a gift from your dad. He just said to give you this when you were both over 16. <gasps> no way! It's a wizard staff. Dad was a wizard. What? Your dad was an accountant. This spell brings him back. For one whole day, Dad will be back. What? Back? Like back to life? That's not possible. It is with this. I'm going to meet Dad. Colby, what are your thoughts on Pixar's latest? Damn it, you Pixar, you did it again. <laughs> These emotionally manipulative monsters, I, I, how dare they fool me into <laughs> thinking that this was just going to be some middle-of-the-road, mundane, DreamWorks-esque style movie. Because let me tell you something, that trailer, like when we first heard about this Otter movie a year ago, I'm like, okay. Uh, it's Pixar. They just got finished doing Toy Story 4. Let's do Onward. Oh, Tom Holland and Chris Brack. All right, let's go. I get this first trailer. There was something about this trailer, which is crazy because it's set in this fantastical world full of magical and mythical monsters, and I felt no magic. And there was something about the visual styling, because we're coming off of Toy Story 4, brilliant visuals, where I'm just like, oh, it doesn't look as good as Toy Story 4. And maybe... We shouldn't treat it like that. Like, we, we shouldn't treat, like, keep in mind, all these properties are going to be inherently different, but that's just the bar they set, and it's crazy high. And while the animation still isn't on Toy Story 4 or Inside Out or Coco levels, it's far from the stock in middling, you know, studio adding that I thought we were going to get. And it started a bit rocky in, mm-hmm. like, the first act, right? And then it kept going. It didn't have the oomph. That I was used to. It didn't have the oomph of uh, of up, right? It didn't have the oomph of Toy Story four in the beginning. But then mm-hmm. when it gets going, it really gets going. This magical bro journey really starts soaring and taking off, and like it fully embraces the fan the fantasy genre, which I love. Um, I love that it pokes fun and makes fun of it of itself. It's really meta in its takes, and there's a lot of comedy to be had with it. Um, I saw this in Dolby. Hashtag Kobe does Dolby. Um, it looks and sounds like amazing. And yo, shout out to Chris Pratt and Tom Holland. They do a really great job with their voice work. I I love the chemistry between them. Like I said, it was a little rocky in the beginning, but then you can really start feeling them getting comfortable as the story progresses. And mm-hmm. it's I mean it's a it's a road trip movie, and it still finds a way to be about these two brothers. And somehow, Dan Scanlon sneakily packs in this powerful exploration of brotherhood, of manhood, even fatherhood in this kid's film. And 
it'll just knock you out. And honestly, I believe that this is, I think this is the best third act, the entire best third act of a Pixar movie. I agree with that. Yeah. I think this is actually what I would describe it as is it's a fairly average film with a really great ending. And I think the film has a ton of heart and the emotional beats of the film work really well. Surprisingly, or maybe not because it's Pixar, but surprisingly, the emotional beats of the film are the best part of the film Mm -hmm. in the sense that I feel like the plot and a lot of the world building things, which I'm usually very um, attuned to and and that I usually really love in these types of Pixar films is, is lacking. I think what really works for this is that relationship between Chris Pratt's character and Tom Holland's character. And those are the moments that I'm most interested in the movie. And so while it is a film that, you know, it's not a sequel or anything. So it is technically an original story. It's not necessarily an original movie. A I lot, feel that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the world building feels a little weaker than some other Pixar films. And it honestly feels like Dan Scanlon just wanted to tell a story about two human brothers and tell this story that maybe they go on a road trip. And I don't, you know, based on the central themes of this film, it it seems weird like they don't you don't need to have this whole um like fantasy aspect to it there can still be magic in a film even if it's not fantasy-esque so i thought that it was almost distracting to include all this world world building stuff Mm -hmm. but pixar was probably like no we need a hook and um I think that it is a bit of a distraction in the film. But that being said, music's good. Animation's good. It is a very good film. And me saying that I was a little underwhelmed by some of the world building stuff is, again, more a testament to how good Pixar is doing in those categories in films like Finding Nemo or uh, The Incredibles or whatever. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. Well, I think there's a lot left on the table in this movie. Yeah. And it's crazy because like, I rate this... Like, my personal rating is a 9 out of 10 with this film. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, it's, <laughs> that's what most of this conversation It's a testament to how brilliant Pixar is as a studio because, like, I would have just taken an hour and a half film of just exploring this world. Like, right. they did it so quickly. In the first five minutes of the movie, I felt like, wow, we kind of glossed over this really quickly. But this had a commentary on how technology has warped the like the real beauty to just like the yeah. natural things in the world and yeah. this mythical world they have these natural beasts and creatures and magic and conveniences have distorted the identities that they had in themselves and i would have loved an exploration of trying to recapture that and they they kind of do in certain parts but ultimately the story was focused on you know ian and barley and yeah it it, it felt kind of like ah uh, like the hissing unicorns that are like raccoons i'm like yeah. <laughs> that is so cool but we don't get enough of it right like um and it's crazy because i i listened to you know um to you on your uh, on your guest spot on mike mike and oscar i'm like yo you guys are hitting everything that i was talking about but yet it's so crazy because i can see those emotional beats coming a mile away and yep. they still freaking worked on me like they yeah. still they're like i'm like I, I turned to my wife over watching and we're just looking at each other and our eyes are welling up and my lip is quivering i'm like they're gonna do it they're gonna die oh gosh <laughs> but you're right this could easily be like an indie drama in like a live action setting and like you've seen this type of film before you know you know yeah. two brothers that may have been estranged and they're kind of they're forced to be inside of this you know small condensed space um and they're going towards a, like a like a goal that they, that they think is a common goal but don't realize that they were the goal all along 
Right. Yeah. And I mean, like, like you said, those emotional beats, they're not novel necessarily. They're not, I mean, maybe, maybe the idea of the the brotherly love is a bit novel, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's not like you don't see it coming and it's not like there's this massive third, uh, third act twist, even though it's sort of set up like that, I guess a little, (laughs) but like, you know, if you have, if, if somebody is going to ask you to figure out where this film is going you can probably figure it out pretty quickly yeah. but fuck pixar they know how to do it they sure and do. i i cried in this film um i don't cry very often in films but this one made me tear up it made me want to hug my brother i he, he called me yesterday um which is the day after we i saw the movie and i was like hey you gotta you gotta listen or you gotta watch this movie and he was like are you are you sure it looks kind of bad and i was like no it's about brothers. I, I need you to watch it. Uh, tell me what you think when you see it. It's it, there. It, the The heart in this film is so great, and I so think good. if that relationship didn't work, then this film would be oh, a yes. failure. <laughs> yes, no, you are absolutely <laughs> right. Without the success in the, the 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 success of these two brothers, man, this could be good, the good dinosaur levels. And that's honestly, yep. <laughs> I thought we were, I thought I was getting the, cause it, it kind of looks like the good dinosaur. Like in that, in that vein of animation, I was like, oh, this is like the good, sti- the good dinosaur. And it's, it's, it's so much better. And I haven't got a chance to check out what it did at the box office yet. Um, I got to kind of work on that. Um, I but, think it's a little weak from what I saw recently that it was around 40 million, which was you know pretty muted. And you know what sucks is that it, it People don't understand how much the box office really does drive the impressions that people have on a film, right? Yeah. And I feel that this movie deserves more, but we got to understand also what we're combating right now. We talked about it at the front of this podcast. There's something serious going on IRL in real life that are driving people away from being in big open public places and confined spaces. So I think that that may have had something to do with it. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's really tough to tell how much... It has to do with it, though, you yeah. know, or whether like I mean, like my brother, maybe people just thought that this wasn't the film that it's trying to be. Um, and you're you you made an interesting point at the beginning where you said it felt like a DreamWorks film. Mm-hmm. And I didn't I didn't make that connection, but I th- you're right. There are other than like the How to Train Your Dragon series and the yeah. the, the very few films that are actually really incredible. Um, a lot of those DreamWorks films have that sort of like. <laughs> like we're not Pixar feel yeah. to it, you know. It, or maybe it's like films... maybe it's like Blue Sky. Yeah, you know, like it's yeah. it, there's something just about this animation style that it's not Coco, it's not Inside Out, it's not Toy Story. So it's like it's something else. And it, it, if the animation style feels like it's in that lower rung of what Pixar's done, and like I said, Pixar has done such exceptional stuff, it feels like something else, you know. So it's. It's really weird, but damn, did I love it! And yeah, so I also I didn't say my, my my ranking. I have this as my number twelve. Okay, that's wow, perfect. That is, uh, I believe it's. Let me double check. Yeah, it is my number thirteen. Okay, so we are right there. Look at that. Yeah, so I think <laughs> awesome. what that is like almost literally middle of the road. Yes, yeah. <laughs> like. And again, um, you said you ranked you ranked it nine out of ten. This is probably like an eight out of ten, eight point five for me. So mm-hmm. these are are very good films still. Yeah, I mean, in my my run. one, two, and three are five star films or ten out of tens for me. Um, in yep. Incredibles, Inside Out, and Coco, and then starting with Toy Story three, all the way down to my number twelve and onward, those are all nine out of ten films for me. Wow. Yeah. 
Let's actually just go ahead and wrap uh, this up, Colby. And why don't you give me your final rankings from worst to best for all 22 of Pixar's films and then kind of maybe maybe tier them up into kind of categories so that we can kind of really get a feel for the, the Pixar's quality in their library. Yeah, so I kind of put this first group of films all in the same rung. Wasn't expecting much. Don't feel like I got much out of it. But there's these, these six films starting from 22 with The Good Dinosaur and number 21 with Cars 2. Those are legitimately bad movies. They're they're more mm-hmm. bad than they are good. Um, I have those rated at five out of ten. Those bottom two, um, but inside the other four of my six, I kind of have grouped together is A Bug's Life at number twenty, Cars three at number nineteen, Brave at number eighteen, and Finding Dory at number seventeen. Which I actually have all of those films at like fine slash okay. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. Then we got this next group of films that I'm going to actually put them all, I all rated them seven out of 10. So this is number 16, Monster University, Toy Story 2, number 15. Number 14 is Finding Nemo. And I've got number 13 is Incredibles, um, in, excuse me, uh, uh, Finding Nemo is actually a seven out of 10. I actually have Incredibles 2 as an eight. And the only reason why I gave it an okay. eight, I actually gave it up is because the one thing that it does do is that if it's going to redo number one, and amplify everything, give me some great action, and it definitely did that. The okay, Jack fair. Jack short inside yes. the film alone <laughs> is probably some of the best superhero movie goods of the entire decade. Uh, so fair. I'll definitely <laughs> give it that. And then, like I said, now after the, after this point, that was my number, um, you know, my, my last uh, ranked number eight film, and number 13 with Incredibles 2. From 12, I got Onward, which is a 9 out of 10. These are all 9 out of 10s up until, yeah, up until Coco. So 12 is Onward, 11 is Cars. 10 is Monsters, Inc., 9 is Up, Wally is 8, Ratatouille is 7, and then pretty much I got back-to-back-to-back Toy Story. 6 Toy Story, 5 Toy Story 4, 4 Toy Story 3. Those were all 9 out of 10 films, and I got my 10 out of 10. My perfect films, perfect Pixar movies, Coco at number 3, Inside Out at number 2, and The Incredibles at number 1. Awesome. And so for me, I would say very similar kind of breakdown, actually. I've the first couple films I would say are meh to bad. And that would be 22 through 19. That is 22 is Cars 2, 21. Well, actually, sorry, I I should say 22 is a a DNS did not start Mm because I did not watch Cars 2. But uh, 21 is The Incredibles 2, 20 is Brave, and 19 is Finding Dory. Then from it looks like roughly 18 to 15, I would say those are good-ish films. Uh, that's The Good Dinosaur at 18. 17 is Cars 3. Six, 16 is Cars. And 15 is A Bug's Life. And then 14 all the way up to, it looks like, 5, I would say, are cr- from really good to great. So 15 here is A Bug's Life. Or no, sorry, I already said that. 14 here is Toy Story 2. 13 is Onward, 12 is Coco, 11 is Toy Story 4, 10 is Up, 9 is Toy Story, 8 is Toy Story 3, 7 is Wally, 6 is Monsters Inc., 5 is Monsters University, and these top four I would say are absolutely 10 out of 10 films. 4 is The Incredibles, 3 is Ratatouille, 2 is Inside Out, and 1 is Finding Nemo. So, Colby, given these last couple films that we've had and talked about, I think most of them have been pretty positive in the last couple of years. How are you feeling about the future of Pixar and just in general, what are your expectations for a film like Soul, which is coming out later this year? Um, does this or does this not have Pete Docter back at the helm? 
it does have peak doctor yeah Who did it's, inside gonna, out, so. it's it's gonna knock it out the freaking park and it's funny because i will say the first like minute of the trailer i'm like i've never once again never seen a pixar movie look like that mm-hmm. my only skepticism is then it does this inside out thing when my man steps through the manhole and becomes a soul yeah, does he die? Did we just watch a man die in that trailer? Pretty, pretty. So that's, I think. So <laughs> yeah. but it looks very much like Inside Out. And yeah. initially I was turned off by it because I'm like, I want the movie. Like, I, oh, I, that's the black Pixar movie that I've been waiting for. Right? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, you just, it, there was this uncanny nature to how beautiful and how beautiful the movie, the, that trailer sounds, mm-hmm. you know? And then when he takes that step. It turns into a different movie. So I'm, I'm interested to see what happens going forward. Because I feel like with Inside Out, maybe I had like a little bit of trepida- trepidation because of what came before it. But I'm I, I'm going to give so much grace to Pete Doctor to win me over. I think Pixar obviously is doing some exceptional things, even with their shorts that they just tag along, you know. Uh, my, my daughter watches the Pixar shorts on Disney Plus every week. Mm-hmm. She just yeah. watches like all 30 of them or whatever. Oh, wow. Um, it's, it, I mean, it's... <laughs> It's, it's a great company. And I think there's still a lot of stories to be told. And I think that they can get a little bit bolder in the way that they tackle stories. You know, um, I would love to see Pixar. Maybe it's tough. Maybe Pixar can't not do a kid's movie. I would love to see mm-hmm. what they do for like a teen film, you know, or, or something like right. that. Um, um, it'd be very interesting. But I, I, I trust. And I, I think Disney, Disney knows what... <laughs> They know not to meddle so much. I feel like in in the latter years they were meddling a little bit, you mm-hmm. know. Like I mean, didn't didn't Disney do Disney did planes right? <laughs> that oh, was Disney's. Yeah. So like they're like, oh, we can do this cars thing too. <laughs> no, no, you can't. You know. So, um, yeah. I, but I, I'm 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 excited for it, and I think that Disney's learned from it. You know, I mean, they there's some films you're like, oh, is that a Pixar film? Sometimes it's hard to kind of distinguish between the two. Like, man, Wreck It Ralph seems like a Pixar movie. No, it's, it's not a Pixar movie. Oh, really? Yeah. It's not a oh, Big Hero Six. Oh, it's not a Pixar movie. But like, yeah, I, I'm I'm excited for what's coming. You know, I don't know if they should keep doing the whole two a year thing now. That's something that's kind of happened more recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but if as long as they're great, I got no problem with it. Yeah, I'm I'm very optimistic about Soul and then just in general Pixar's future. So. I hope that they will focus more on original properties, especially with everything that Disney's doing nowadays. I think Pixar is a great well for original storytelling. So I really hope that they allow Pixar to do that and just stay out of their way because Pixar clearly knows what it's doing. And for every kind of miss, there are two or three just beautiful and powerful films. All right. So this has been our Pixar Marathon Review episode. I am recording this outro a couple days later because Colby's audio got a little bit messed up and I couldn't quite figure out a way how to smooth it out. But as always, it was an absolute blast to have Colby on the podcast. It always feels like just a casual conversation whenever Colby is on, and I'm really looking forward to continuing to collaborate with him in the future. Colby has a lot of projects going on right now that you definitely should all check out. He just recently started the Black Label podcast as a part of the Feelin' Film podcast family, where four critics of color sit down to discuss their love for movies. He is also a part of the Minorities Report podcast and hosts his own podcast, the Colby Told Me podcast. This man is just a podcasting machine, so it always means a lot when he takes the time to sit down and talk to me. 
I will provide all the links to these podcasts in the show notes, but you should also follow Colby on Twitter at Colby Told Me. He's genuinely one of the nicest and best people to follow on that site. So thank you again, Colby, for joining me on today's episode. The intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at Incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MovieMarapod. That's Movie M-A-R-A pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast on Podbean at moviemarathoners.podbean.com. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. If you are on iTunes, please subscribe there or write a review if you like what we're doing. Really, any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. Thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time when I am joined by my marathon buddies, Ian Anderson and Johnny Kemps, for a Nikki Caro double feature. She is directing the upcoming live-action remake of Mulan, but before she did that, she made her directorial debut with a film called Whale Rider, and then went on to direct McFarlane USA, which is possibly one of, and one of the only, but one of the best films about running. So I think that should be a really fun conversation that we'll have as we kind of prepare for the, the Boston Marathon coming in April. Assuming no coronavirus delay. Please, please, please. But stay tuned for that. Until then, bye. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts.